Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, Asian Bitches Down Under listeners. Um, just a trigger warning before that we start going to the episode. There will be suicide and death mentioned in this episode. And just want to give you a head up for this episode that we'll be having a conversation around mental health. Of course, again, that we're speaking from the perspectives of our own experiences and the research we have done around the topic. We are definitely not um, mental health professions. Uh, we encourage our listeners to seek help directly from the medical professions for any concerns. So enjoy the show. Hey, y'all. This is Jessie. And I'm Helen. And this is another episode of Asian Bitches Down Under. Hey, guys. Um, great week, right, Helen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, fantastic week. Spectacular week in terms of consumption, <laughs> yeah. artistic consumption. Well, I was very excited about Tenant. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was very excited. And mm-hmm. I was not um, let down. Even though um, I spent about two hours afterwards on the Sunday um, scrolling through Reddit feeds, threads, oh, okay. because I didn't understand what I saw at all. Any yeah, afterwards I was just telling Kevin, like any any kind of movie with time travel, you've lost me. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. Or dimensional so, travel. Yeah. Yeah. It just does it's so like the most tech the most um complicated iteration of time travel that I can understand is Back to the Future. <laughs> that's that's the only time travel movie I will tolerate. What about Doraemon when we were watching oh, as kids? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's very, yeah, a bit well, more straightforward. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just there's nothing straightforward about time travel, okay? Mm-hmm. You cannot exist in two spaces at once. That's right. Sorry. Yeah. That's just my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the my favourite person was actually not um, David John Washington, who is super hot. Uh, he's Denzel Washington's son. He plays the protagonist in Tenant. Yay. Um, yeah, he, he is not the highlight for me, um, even though, yeah, like I was expecting much more from him. He's a great actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just he's very bland in this movie, which oh. I think um, is apparently that is what the character calls for. Uh, but Aaron Taylor Johnson is in this film, and he's like just such an eye candy. <laughs> just such an eye candy. He was the highlight of this film. Um, just very quickly... Uh, what I'm reading is Rachel Kushner's The Mars Room. Have you heard of it? No, I haven't. Oh, she's so famous. Everyone's always like spent years telling me to read her. Um, mm-hmm. This is my first book of hers. About um, So far, I'm like 50 pages in. It's about a woman who is now in prison, and we don't know why she's in prison. Um, that's all I've got to so far, but it's really, really good. It's like so – it just sucks you in. And I'm also reading at the same time – Garth Greenwell's cleanness, which uh-huh. is also just so sucking in, like uh-huh. it just sucks you straight in. Wow, that's amazing! It's great, yeah, just great writing. There's no, I, I don't think I've read any book centering female prisoner yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that could be interesting. Yeah it's, yeah, it's a great um, other insight into what it means to be a woman, which mm-hmm. I'm always looking mm-hmm. for more ways of being a woman. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, what's been happening with you? Okay, so I'm reading Bernadine Everesto's Girl, Woman and Other. It's a very unusual way of writing, you know, no capital letters at the beginning of the sentence and no full stop. It's very um, unconventional way of writing and the monologue is quite easy to absorb. 
you know, the conversation is not too difficult to understand. Okay. I really enjoy reading like another standard of language, English language that's established by people of color. Like reading from the non-mainstream is actually quite yeah. refreshing. You know, I, I'm I'm yeah. thinking that perhaps it's like this is the time that black indigenous and people of color like us is setting another trend for English literature, like not writing the as what the mainstream like grammatical structure and how we phrase certain story. Yeah, this is this is what I've got out of this book. Um, I mean, it's yeah. I'm already only like halfway through it at the moment, but um, I think it's very interesting. It kind of dissect in the interse- intersectional feminism and made a reference of Roxane Gay's feminism. Um, concept in circumstantial and the uh, contextual ideas. Mm. Yeah. Mm. What was Roxane Gay's theory? There was in the book. I think there's se- three. If I'm not wrong, there's three sections in the book, and the three section talks about um, different stories. And within section, within the sections, they have individual characters that intertwine uh, in between that uh, individual story and the first story there was a character a young uh, black girl she's talking about essentially she's talking about her friends through university life and there was she encountered a white female um, when they start talking about discussing about racism and feminism this uh, white friend uh, referenced Roxane Gay's idea of feminism because she mm. feel like sometimes the racism it's kind of the racist act sometimes is not absolute oh, I don't know how to explain it like I don't have it in my note but it's just coming into my mind but I think what essentially she was trying to explain was that don't take the older haste towards the white because she's in the minority within the white people because she com- she comes from a very poor family and in, in the sense that she's from a very a lower social status compared to the, maybe... A, well, the white yeah, woman or the, the white woman? The white woman, the white woman. you talking about? Yeah. Okay. So she's saying, she's referencing Roxane Gay's um, idea of feminism is sometimes is, you know, circumstantial and contextual. It's not absolute. I don't know if I'm saying that yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah anyway. Yeah. I thought the book was like 12 different characters or nine different women. I didn't count how many. Yeah, but there was yeah. three characters in the first story and then okay. three characters in the second story and I think three or four characters in the last story as well. So maybe nine or 12. Yeah. That's I nice. just, I don't remember the, yeah, I, I remember just hearing a lot of reviews saying this is like nine different women mm-hmm. characters or yeah. black or from Britain, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my media consumption this week, I want to recommend two. What, both of them are animation, so you're gonna hate me now, Jess, because you you hate animation. I went out with a friend last night. She's like, I'm watching Coco, and I rolled my eyes. Aww. But apparently, it's very sad. We watched that at Kevin's place. Yeah, I didn't see it. Oh, okay. Well, you guys did. I uh-huh. I just don't. I'm not interested in in animation preparation. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe like white people making Mexican stories. Fuck off. Yeah, true. That that that's a bit. Cult- yeah, that is cultural appropriation. I agree. 
So the first animation that I want to talk about is <laughs> the one I'm still watching with my daughter, Ooh. Shura. Mm. I don't know. Our listeners gonna love it. Me watching kids animation. No, uh, that is literally yeah. the life of a parent, which is why I will <laughs> never become a parent. Jesus Christ! I like sit through Lisa, like my our sister Lisa too. <laughs> sister Lisa, when whenever like maybe like once in the last five years, I've sat in the car with her and her three kids, and she puts on like the Wiggles or something, and I want to slip my wrist. Like the moment I hear kids movie, kids music, I I just want to kill myself because it's so depressing. Yeah. Like I'm such a snob. Uh-huh. That's why I can't ever become a parent. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I ever really play kids music anymore. When you play fucking Mozart, oh god. I don't. I I mean I put on classical music, but that's about it. If I ever become a parent, I'll only play jazz. <laughs> anyway, go on. I sorry, I derailed your conversation, Shira. Yeah. Um. I prefer. I I enjoy watching Shira. Well, with can you just tell us who, what it is? Is that a sheep? No, it's a group of like female princess warriors. A bit like. Kind of like Xena, <laughs> warrior princess. Like Sailor Moon. Not so much as Sailor Moon. Oh, okay. I, I think they're mo- more of the masculine side. I think Sailor Moon is feminine. They too. They put too much cutesy stuff yeah, in. Yeah, and they're like stick figures as well. Also. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think whereas Shira, it, it's a group of uh, princess warriors. They're trying to save their kingdom. What color is their skin? Of course, the fur, the Shira is still white and with blonde, and she's oh surrounded. It's like what we were talking about the last <laughs> with week. Worker, yeah, she's surrounded with other princess, yeah, who and are people of color. Oh my god, kill me! Seriously, that is so. Anyway, kill, go on. But why? Why I like this um, yeah. animation is that there's the complicity of the. It's really complicated the female friendship. And okay. there are queer characters. Oh, I love and that. Okay. There's a male character. I assume he's gay, but he never, you know, of course, it never really presented in the animation. He's got two dads. What? Can you give an example? He wears his outfit has uh-huh. a heart on the on the front, like a red okay. heart, and he yeah. wears the what do you call it, midriff? Okay. Yeah, yeah, he wears a mid-drip. straight guy would never do that. Yeah, yeah. he wears a midriff okay. which shows yeah. his like stomach, torso. And okay, even yeah. if he change his outfit, he will uh-huh. rip, <laughs> rip the stomach part <laughs> away. That is so adorable. What's his name? Andre. Bo. Bo. Okay, yeah. I guess that's a pretty hero name. Can I just say, um, you said before that um, they're complicated female friendships. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us why? Okay, because there is a um character. Actually, the main, the two main characters, Shira and Ketra, they're both female, of course, and they grew up together, and they kind of become frenemies because they started to divert their path when they're moving into their adulthood. Whereas Shira, the the blonde girl. Actually, her her real name is Adora, but she turns into like this warrior princess, and they call her Shira. Yeah, it's really complicated. Don't worry about it. Okay. Yeah, and then Ketra. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me that Ketra is. No, black. no, no. She's not black, but oh, she's okay. she's like a half human, half cat. Yeah, so it's kind of like an alien. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, the listeners can't see, but I'm making a very <laughs> ugly face right now. <laughs> You're like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Ultimately, that Catra kind of been recruited by the dark side. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you were gonna say CIA. She always have like a conflicted mental 
framework, she can't decide whether or not that she's doing a good thing or not, or she's been pushed by this desire of to win over her friend. And there's another character called Scorpia, which I love because you can just tell that she's a lesbian character. Like she's always been there for Ketra and really caring, but she's always been pushed aside. So she's portrayed as this really gentle but masculine looking butch woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was really sweet. How do you spell Shira? Because I can't find it on Google. So it's she S H E and there's a dash and R A. Oh, okay. Oh uh, yeah, um it's I'm trying to see what country it comes from. It's US. Oh, it, because it looks um Japanese. It is a bit Japanese, I think. Another cultural appropriation. I'm just gonna say <laughs> Just take all the good stuff from Asia and like <laughs> smack it in your own yeah, so Shira looks like Legolas from um from Lord of the Rings. I'm looking at her right now. Yeah, she looks, she like, looks like an elf. She's got like elfish ears. Yeah. yeah. The other animation that I, were, I want to recommend, this one's for the adults, yeah. it's called Great Pretender. To me, it feels like a combination of the film Catch Me If You Can and the other film, which is cool. uh, the Hong Kong film called Infernal Affair. Have you... I don't know if you watched it. Yeah, isn't that um The Departed? Was yes, based on that's that? right, yeah. Yeah, which is basically like the Departed is nowhere near as good yeah, as this. Yeah, the, the Hong Kong original is per, is wonderful. It's so yeah. much better. In the combination with Robin Hood and the, one of the Taiwanese, I think it's Taiwanese or Chinese um, folk tale called Liao Tian Din. What's that? So essentially, they're like Liao Tian Din is a bit like Robin Hood that they rob the rich and give to the mm-hmm. poor. So essentially, the great pretender they're like Kong artists, and they go oh. out to places to like. What do you call them? Like fraud? What? Like to cheat the rich. And then they do like a huge setup. There's a word for that? I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to think about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm sure there's a word yeah. for that. Yeah. So they cheat the rich and they like take all their money and yeah. kind of like doing the justice of their own selves. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So this is showing on Netflix and it's from Japan. It's from Japan. Why do you like it? It's just got a great storyline. And it keeps okay. on like there's cliffhangers on every episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't like the animation in the same way I don't ever... I've never picked up a fantasy book. I've never picked up a sci-fi book uh-huh. in my life. Uh-huh. Legit, I have not. Because um, I have zero imagination. I cannot suspend any form of imagination. Mm. Like, I'm so... I take this world, the real world, mm. the empirical real world, so seriously that I cannot suspend even an ounce of disbelief. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, I, and yeah, that's just, I, I don't see that as a flaw. Uh, probably is a flaw, but like the last animation I loved was maybe Inside Out and Up. That's uh-huh. it. Yeah, Inside <laughs> Out is brilliant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's something that we'll be talking about today, about emotions. <laughs> oh, shame, yeah. <laughs> Wait, was shame an emotion in that movie? I think there was this emotion called disgust, wasn't it? So I guess it's oh, a yeah. bit Was relevant it? to that. Inside out yeah. characters. So there's disgust and fear. Bing, bing bong? There's bing, bing bong. Bing bong's one of the childhood characters. There's joy, um, sadness. That's it. Oh. Fear. Yeah, anger. I guess they didn't go with shame because um, it's too complex for young people to understand yeah. shame. Don't yeah. you think? Also, it's too heavy to, to get young kids to understand right. shame. You don't want kids. Yeah. To, yeah. So um, there was book week this week, right? Yeah. It's coming up in the At next school. two weeks. Um, book week at my daughter's school. And your daughter is in year one? She's in year two. Okay. Uh, so the past years that she's been like dressing up as mermaid. 
which is oh it's God. not that I have I have to confess that this is not the costume that I bought. It's our mom bought it for her, and oh, okay. you just see a sea of like princesses, superheroes, and Wooly. <laughs> What? Who's that? W- where's Wally? Oh, Wally. Yeah. yeah, right. Oh, my God. And this year, this is so funny. Oh, it's not funny. I'm actually very proud of it. Yeah. Um, proud of Aya. Yeah, I'm very proud of her. She actually picked up. She she said she wanted to dress up as the butterfly fairy. That's a costume that we got last year. Um, because we were out of town last year during the Halloween times, you know, the end of October. And mm. then we were in this regional town and they had like this massive, I don't even know why is it so massive now in Australia. What? Uh, the Halloween, what do you call them? Trick or treat. Yeah, trick or treat. Yeah. So she wanted to do it with the, with the local kids. And I said, okay, let's, let's just go and go to Kmart. And That's fun. Yeah, go, go to yeah, Kmart. I would do that. And get a cheap costume. And she picked the butterfly fairy. So that was the sad story. And then book week is coming up and she wants to use that costume again which is really good because then i don't have to worry about it it's like kind of yeah. a recycle process yeah and i said oh okay yeah that's fine you can wear that but we gotta think of a book character that you can yeah. tell your classmate because due to covid yeah. they're not going to do a parade this year they're just going to have a gathering in their classroom and talk about right. their own character she's thought about it for a long time then she said, I'm just going to make my own book about this character and I'm going to bring that book to school <laughs> and tell them that yeah. this is the character I'm based on this book yeah. that I've written. Fucking love that girl. That's so cl- I would If I was a mother, <laughs> that would be the highlight of my motherhood. Yeah, it is. It is motherhoodness. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Because like when I grew up, there were no characters that looked like me, so I couldn't dress up as anyone. Mm-hmm. Freaking hell. I couldn't dress up as a straight white dude. Mm-hmm. Wally. Or like, I don't know, what's another, I don't know, I just, and also, we never read books. We never read any books yeah. growing up anyway, so I couldn't put myself into a Mem Fox classic or something like that. Jesus yeah. Christ. Anyway, now as an adult, if I wanted to dress up as a book character, I would dress up as like, I don't know, Jason Bateman. <laughs> Patrick, I mean, sorry, Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. <laughs> and like, yeah, actually, that would be very freaky if a young kid goes to school, like, in a mini suit, like with a with an axe or a chainsaw uh, in his hand, cycle. like drenched in blood, and the teacher would be like, "Oh my god, we've got to ring social service. Yeah, we've got to ring the police." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Social service. What are the parents but, doing? Yeah, but I mean, if I was, if I got to partake in that activity, I would try and transgress the gender norms. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. want to dress in like just a, a female character because all those female characters are fucking boring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else that you want to add for? That? Yeah. So we're going. Um. Dun 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 dun. <laughs> That's the theme music for our new segment. Um. Called they did what? So this is a new segment we want to feature every week when Helen and I name one or two things that we experienced. Um. That was like what the hell mm-hmm. in terms of like racism mm-hmm. or like something that white people did that were like okay you guys. We're not conscious of your whiteness. I'm going to start. Mm-hmm. Um, I was invited by the ABC to pitch an, uh, uh, pitch my story about uh, Christmas memories. Like, oh, do you have a funny Christmas story about, like, oh, the year that grandma revealed a secret during Christmas dinner or, like, oh, something funny happened during Christmas lunch. You know, um, it was a very brief, very, very brief um, briefing uh-huh. for me. Um, and then I wrote back to them um, and said, uh, 
basically, do you know that you're excluding a lot of people of colour and minorities just by putting this out because a lot of non-white people don't celebrate Christmas? And then I got a response from someone, I won't say who, and they're white, and then um, they said, uh, oh, I didn't notice that. Of course. Yeah. Which was very, I was like, yeah. Duh. We celebrate Christmas in our household, but you pointed out that, yeah, there are a lot of people. I wonder how many how many people that the ABC staff, whoever came up with this idea, sent it out to, and did they send it out to... People of colour? Well, the ABC has a lot of issues with race. Like, That's right. Yeah, yeah, we it's, all know that. It's, yeah, it's like 75% white anyway. Yeah, even with SBS. Yeah, exactly. And I saw that there is a panel on the diversity of Australian media uh, next mm-hmm. week sometime, and there were no Asians on the panel. There were no black wow. people on the panel. Well, there is what? an Indigenous person on the panel. Uh, there was a white dude on the panel. Like, what the fuck? Why would you get a white dude on a diversity panel? Anyway, God, ABC, bloody hell. Yeah. So many issues. So uh, the the way in which Helen and I approached uh, this today's topic is uh, I'll tell you the, I'll give you a quick gist of the background of how I led to this topic of shame. Last two weeks ago, I was part of a... Um, Victorian Human Rights Commission panel discussion on mm. Zoom uh, about workplace sexual harassment. And towards the end of this panel, which was which involved uh, a lawyer and a couple of other people who work in social justice, they're bureaucratic. They had bureaucratic backgrounds. I was the only one who wasn't kind of like from a technically very strong legal background. So towards the end, the uh, host asked us all to make a comment about where we see workplace sexual harassment going and what are the good things that we've seen that have developed in the last few years in Australia. And um, one of the participants, who's a white male, he said, da-da-da-da-da, he said a few things. And then at the end he said, I think that also it's been good to see how the public media have come out to shame people like Harvey Weinstein and uh, Dyson Hayden and this public shaming is a good thing because it is a deterrence for men to to do the act of sexual harassment and I felt really uncomfortable about him saying this because like there was something that was wrong with it and I did not know how to articulate myself like I just knew immediately that that was the wrong theory to go by like public shaming of men Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand why, so I basically said, okay, uh, can I just say I disagree with you? I said, I don't agree with you because... And my reason wasn't very good, but um, I basically said, shaming doesn't do anyone good because, like, 50, 60 years ago, people were shaming gay people and transgender people, and today we still continue to shame disabled people. And I thought about my comment afterwards and I thought no that wasn't actually very well the way I articulated it because I was ostensibly putting men who sexually harass in the same box as gay people which like I wasn't obviously yeah yeah because um one group of people like the perpetrators of sexual harassment they are committing a crime whereas to be a gay person is not committing a crime nothing wrong yeah but what I my point was the act of shaming was wrong and I was trying to articulate that so I like in the last few weeks I've thought about this and I've finally realized what I was trying to say so this comment in which this guy makes about the benefits of this shaming of perpetrators of sexual harassment 
is the same as very similar to the remarks made by a man called Joseph. So Joseph Burgo says in an article, quote, behavior considered acceptable in one era becomes shameful in another as evidenced by the Me Too movement. Now, I disagree with this statement. I think it doesn't blame shame. It doesn't become shameful in another era. It's more like women have finally had enough strength and social and financial clout in society in order to speak out about the wrongness of their behavior. Mm-hmm. Like it's always been wrong and it was always wrong. It's only now that women have more power in society that we can demand that this behavior stop. It's not really mm-hmm. about becoming shameful. It's more like women have yes. more power to call it out now. And when he says shame discourages sexual harassment, it doesn't address the root cause of the harassment. It's like, it's not seeing like, I think it's not seeing a woman as a whole human being. That's the wrongness of the behavior. So the reason why what this lawyer, this man said was wrong, I'll get to in a little bit. Like, it's such a great reason. And I'll tell you about it in a few minutes time. But let's start with um, the function, this is supposed function of shame. So according to this guy called Fesla in 2004, a white dude, of course, um, the function of shame is to regulate social systems and hierarchies. In fact, he speculates that shame is responsible for the aversive effects of social rejection and may ultimately be responsible for encouraging the maintenance of social norms. These social norms, Helen, who have they been always created by? Uh, the one with power. Which know, is? White people usually. Yeah, white men. Yeah. yeah. Or the one with power so, usually will be the men, you know, for centuries. Yeah. Yeah. And, and seriously, guys, if you, all those listeners out there, if you, have you noticed that every single piece of writing out there, any study written about shame has always been by a white person, usually white men. And it's always the same. They say things like shame has evolved to serve the important function of being a social defense. According to a study published, blah, 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 blah. And then they say, ah, oh, the shame, the function of shame is to prevent us from damaging our social relationships. And things like there's a clear evolutionary advantage to securing positive relationships and being valued by others through shaming, mm. which I just, I, I don't like these kind of empirically based so-called social sciences that are very much relegated through the male patriarchal mm-hmm. lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The ones I've looked at is actually, there's a bit more connection with our Asian side. Okay, great. But, um, which I'll mention later. But I want to start with the idea of shame. I thought when you when you brought it up last week, I thought you would want to go back to that or, original piece from the cut. I think that you you sent it to me earlier this year. What about was it? A, a woman, a woman named Emily Gao, that she was writing about her experience of shame, that she okay. was publicly humiliated on TV. And she returned her, uh, a story about it, something like that. Do you remember that? I thought that was the original idea of you know raising this. Yeah. What was the name of the journalist again? Uh, Emily, G O U L D. Oh, Gould. Okay, Emily Gould. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. She's married to like some dude who writes for the New Yorker, Gesson. Like he's 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 yeah. the brother of Ma- Marsha Gerson, I think. Um, he's intolerable; cannot stand him. But anyway, he just he just wrote a really annoying article about being a great father. Okay, go on. I actually went back and read that piece of writing again because when I first read it, I couldn't understand what she was trying to express. But I kind of made the connection after I read other pieces on the discussion of shame and kind of understand that the idea of shame from her perspective is that how. It is like a mechanism 
tool to put people down. Yeah, exactly. And put people to in their control. boxes. Control. Yeah, control. Yeah, to yeah. I, I'm not. I don't know whether or not it's putting people in boxes, but it's pretty much essentially putting people in a subordinate position. Yeah, yeah. And bring yourself higher. Yeah. Because I think it's always been like that, as in men to women. Yeah, to women, and also men to gay people. To people that yeah. It's just like you're you're trying to be mean to them, in order to control or manipulate their behaviors. Yes, shut them up basically. It doesn't really work on everyone, I think, because some people just don't feel shame. Look at Donald Trump. Yeah, exactly. She mentioned Donald yeah. Trump. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That guy, that man, has no shame at all. I don't think he processed yeah, the idea、exactly. of shame in his brain at all. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, like the thing is, there's two. Parts of shame. There's like there's two aspects of shame. There's a shame、mm-hmm. you feel yourself, right? And then there's the shame that is pressed upon、right. you by、yes. society. Yeah, and I have to say,、um, the, the one I'll, I'll talk very、mm-hmm. personally now, and I、I'm, I feel free enough to talk about this because I don't think this guy who I'm about to talk about listens to this podcast. The two types of shame that I have faced in those two realms. Um, I say the biggest shame I felt is being like a single girl, a single lady by society. That's the external shame I felt most laterally my whole life、mm-hmm. is that shame, and then the other one, the internal shame, is the shame like a couple of years ago I was involved with a guy. It was a sexual relationship. For me, I was completely in love with this guy,、mm-hmm. like so in love it was. Crazy! It makes me sound like I was like psychotic, as in like Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction. Not not like that. I wasn't like calling him up, like kill his baby rabbit, <laughs> his daughter's baby rabbit. He hadn't. He doesn't have a daughter. I don't like. Well, back then he doesn't have a daughter. But there was this white guy who I'd known from work, and he's extremely good looking, extremely good looking, like ridiculously good looking. And I always felt really、mm. inadequate. Around him, like I just always felt like he was too good for me. Basically,、um, we fell into a sexual relationship really quickly, and I was just so because I was young. I think I was like twenty five when I first slept with him. I was like, just did not know what I did not know how to protect、mm-hmm. myself, and like I would go to his place at like ten p.m. and at that point I was still living with my parents on and off. And I, when I think about back then, the, the stuff I did for him, just like I would always go and give him like a booty, like I would receive his booty. He didn't actually call me up for a booty call. Like he would always, we would always plan something. But like looking back, seeing the ways in which I like completely gave myself to him just for sex, because like I wanted something more. Like I loved him so much, but he wasn't in the emotional headspace for a relationship. He had just broken up with someone for like. A long time he had been with this girl for so many years, and then like he just、mm-hmm. I felt used by him. But like back then, in hindsight, of course, you know I knew I was just a reject,、uh, rebound for him. But back then I was so in love with him that, like, if he asked me to kill myself or something, I like if he asked me to drink a bottle of bleach, I would have. Like I was so you you were irrational, you think? I no no I I. I don't know if it's irrational, but well, it is irrational if you can't drink bleach. Yeah, well, yeah, but I just mean like I feel so much shame still over that.、Mm. Like it's been more than five years, but I still feel so much shame. Like, and this relationship was like three,、mm. four months. That was it, and then I went overseas for a while. It. I just look back on that 
and feel so much, still so much shame. And a few months ago, I bumped into this guy. All that shame came back. Mm-hmm. And like, I was going to reach out to him just to say, say like, oh, let's grab a coffee or something. But then all that shame came flooding back. And I think that shame actually protected me from getting further hurt from him, mm-hmm. by him. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that is the only positive to shame. You know how, um, what we're, what Helen and I are about to talk about is we're going to critique a lot of these um, men who have recently come out in defense of shame, literally the title of mm-hmm. a book by a, by a dude um, saying like, oh, there's great things about like public shaming. What I'm saying, Helen, and to all these listeners out there is I don't think there's any benefits to public shaming from the external side by mm-hmm. society, which, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you my reasons soon, but um, the internal shame that I feel has actually protected me from being further hurt mm-hmm. by this guy. It regulated your behavior. Yeah, of it did. A potential, I don't know, Harm. start up of the relationship with again. Yeah, him. I, I don't, I yeah, don't know exactly. what's happening with exactly. him now, but there's a potential of reharming yourself again. Yeah, exactly. Which that irregular regulated your behavior. Yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah. So shame was the only emotion powerful enough to stop me from reaching out to mm-hmm. him. But that was an internal. That's a that's your own yeah. self autonomous internal shame. Exactly. That you regulated yeah, which, with yourself. But yeah. whereas we're looking at a bit more public sphere of how, like, the overall group is shaming on a particular person, uh, individual, or, like, a particular group of people, the damage that it's actually mm-hmm. will be doing. Yeah. Yeah. So can I just ask you, Helen, in what, li- in what part of your life have you felt shame? Like, what okay. part have you felt by society to shame you? And then what any internal shame you felt? Okay. Um. I feel a bit ashamed when I was growing up in the sense that I had a very, I think I still do, which is, I think it would take years for me to get rid of it. It's like I still, this is like a guilty feminist confession here. I still have this perception about body image, which is really, really shit. I have to admit that it's a really wrong thing to do. I'm kind of improved over years. In my early teens that I was really into i wouldn't say i was really really into fitness but i think i just got sucked into like the standardized of beauty that you have to be be skinny and flawless skin yeah and i was really ashamed of my skin throughout my teenage years i'm I'm pretty sure that you remember because i was a really i had bad acne yeah acne me too i had acne all throughout uni it was awful yeah it was awful for me as well so there wasn't many boys that was attracted to me and i feel kind of ashamed of my own skin but that was an internalized thing but also it's part of the partially it was like externalized as well because most girls that i i was with they just had perfect skin they have flawless skin yeah. and there's nothing wrong yeah. with it I, I always thought that it was such a big deal because yeah. I, I was like the few girls that who had acne and i didn't know where to look for solution and our mom wasn't really our mother wasn't really had the intention of um trying to set up us to i don't know i don't know what our mom was doing to be honest yeah well you and mom were never close yeah you guys just had the most strain like it's a complicated yeah we had i had a very complicated relationship with mom oh my god can we do a whole part (laughs) on moms (laughs) yeah we will yeah asian moms yeah also i think the relation with mom and i kind of deteriorated since that i had just before the acne even before the acne when i first first i had my period our mother didn't know didn't even tell me how to use the pad 
I mean, I, I don't want people really? to criticizing on her or anything, but because our mother came from a uh, an era that you know sex and anything to do with sexual organs was a big taboo to talk about. Taboo. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she doesn't. Know so how to she talk didn't know how to talk to us about girls having period and. When the time came, it was actually like when I think back now, I don't even think that it's a trauma, but it's just something that I hope our mother had taught me about her because it came on in the middle of the day. I think it was it was even a guy, it was a boy who told me that, hey, Helen, you've got red stain on your uniform, and I just Shit. I just freaked out, like I had no yeah. idea what to do, and thankfully that our teacher back then this was in year six. Does you know what happened? I didn't. I didn't fucking know what happened, like or what to do. Are you serious? You had no idea. What the fuck? That's fucked up, and man. I just said that. Okay. Sorry. Um, the uh, the teacher, the female teacher, was really kind. She just took me to the um sick bay and said that. Okay, I'm gonna call your mom and ask her to bring you a set of clean um uniform and pads. And then mom just mom mom turned up <laughs> with a cl- a set of clean uniform, underwear. And a couple of pads. She just gave it to me. And then? And she didn't explain how you use it. She what? She didn't explain it how to use it. So I kind of like figured, tried to oh my figure God. it what? out myself. You poor thing. That's really fucking traumatic, man. I had no idea. Mum, okay. So I'm the fourth mm. child of mum. So by the time I came along, she knew what to do with me. Mm. Hence why I've worked mm. out so well. <laughs> Kidding, obviously. Um, I'm much more of an aberration than you are in terms of societal. I spoke to a woman who's like around my age group. They say they had similar experience when they first had period. Like no one, literally yeah. no one told yeah. them how to use a pad, how to use a like tampon. And even when tampon came around, like they are afraid of using it. Okay, a tampon is not comfortable. I don't use tampons. I don't. I, it's just, just God, it's yeah. so uncomfortable. Can I say, I don't think mum ever taught me how to use a tampon, but I knew definitely when my period came what it she was. She probably didn't even know what, to, what tampon Christ. was. Yeah. So you're inserting something into your um, vagina, probably not something that in their era are familiar with. Well, anyway, so yeah. that's yeah. kind of something that I was ashamed of, like having period and also, you know, having a very pimply face when I was growing up. Yeah. And I have to confess, I have to confess that I kind of... <laughs> I do body shame other people. Yeah, I do. You do? How? I do. <laughs> you know how I usually... I will poke at Sean's stomach and tell him that... Oh, my God. I Helen. know. Helen. Come on, criticize You're on me. so yeah. bad. Can I just say you also body shame yeah, yourself? Yeah, There was one day, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, when my daughter just... like I was drying her hair yeah. and she suddenly told me that, Mom, do you think I'm fat? Yeah. That was like kind of like crashing down on me. Yeah. I was just thinking, I never say something... That to her, I never comment on her body. Yeah, but Helen, ever. she sees what you do to yourself. Yeah, but she sees. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I'm. This is. I'm about to criticize you, but like, um, you're a human being. But like, I'm like, you're yeah, so yeah. great in so many ways, and yet you don't see that when you like, for all you listeners out there, Helen and I spend quite a lot of time together on the weekends, and often in the past, I've noticed Helen just when we look at when we take pictures together, Helen would say, "Oh, I look fat." Oh, I look fat. Oh, I look fat. And yeah, I know. And it's Helen so bad. is like fucking um, anorexic. Shit. Seriously. And like, even though I say no, that I'm to not. Helen, she still doesn't <laughs> get it. Yeah. And um, no matter yeah. what happens, and no matter who says you're really skinny, Helen, 
you're still never going to believe it. Just like when I go to my sex therapist and I say to her, I'm like so much uglier than my sister's. Um, she says, and then she tells me, because she looks at the pictures of you guys, and she's like, no, I don't think so. I think you're just as pretty. I still mm -hmm. believe that you and Lise are way prettier than me, and I'll never get over that. I don't know how to get over it. And it's maybe the same thing with you. Like, you're always going to think you're fat, even though that's so empirically mm -hmm. not true. I think it would take so long for us to get over it because it's something that was constructed yeah. since we were really young. As in, you know, the comparison of weight and comparison of beauty, especially yeah. for Asian women. Um, there's so much burden and so much yeah, that we need yeah, to unlearn exactly. and unpack and That's why now. I'm like so anti-Vogue yeah. and Marie Claire and any kind of like fashion, beauty, product shit. Because, you know, you walk into Priceline and you are face-to-face -face with one trillion ways in which you are flawed. You know, there are now like there are now eye masks for, like, bettering your eyelashes. Or, like, oh, the other day I opened up Who Weekly. Where the hell did you get Who Weekly? Do you read that? Oh, okay, so I'm writing a, I'm writing a book of essays now, um, and one of them is about uh, celebrity okay. culture. And so I've subscribed to Who Weekly. And then, yeah, I, I, I bring it over to Billy's place, and then we go through it mm -hmm. together. It's so great. And so Who Weekly um, had an article about, like, hair aging products oh and then i was like God. what the fuck i didn't even know that hair could grow old <laughs> like i didn't know hair could grow it's old and that i needed to buy a 500 dollars jar of cream to make my hair youthful again <laughs> you know that's like the whole beauty industry is a way to shame, to shame people yeah. and control that's women right. yeah that's yeah. why i'm like they, fuck they you they capitalize <laughs> on shaming women yeah to profit I just want to move on to just the general fact uh -huh. of um, a lot of reading I've done with yes. shame is um, big big names that I've recently heard. Um, there's this guy, Pakistani-Australian, called Dr. Tanvi Ahmed, <laughs> who um, was a few years ago accused of plagiarism. I don't think he handled it very well. He wasn't very he wasn't gracious about it. So he has a new book out called In the Defense In Defense of Shame, and there's an extract in the Australian from two days ago and I read it mm -hmm. it was so badly written like it's the language is so dry mm -hmm. and everyone he references is uh someone like him like a white uh he's not white actually but like a dude mm -hmm. and he says quote shame is a moral language um and my question is well who's creating that language mm -hmm. and who's policing yeah, it that's right it's always been white men yeah Men like um, psychologists, sociologists, historians, these are the people that they continue to reference. Mm -hmm. It's like they, they, this is something I've been thinking about a lot. The people in which critics latch onto to support their argument are people who look like them. Or have the, they have the same idea or the, or the same background. Yeah, or the same back exactly, yeah. And so it's like this cycle of perpetual going down the same kind of narrow mm -hmm. perspective. There's nothing creative about that. We can't talk about shame, obviously, Helen, without talking about Brene mm -hmm. Brown, who is like the cultural mainstream mm -hmm. guru of shame. Uh, she has this thing called 12 shame categories, which apparently have emerged from her research. And so here are the places where she says that shame can uh, emerge. Here are appearance and body image, money and work, Mother, motherhood slash fatherhood, family, mm -hmm. parenting, mental and physical health, addiction, sex, aging, religion, 
surviving trauma, and the last one being stereotyped mm. or labeled. Hold on, can I just jump in? But she's writing from the perspective of Western culture, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like well, all these people. Yeah, all these people are white. These people who talk about shame are white. They go and approach this thing from a very white, straight lens. Like, mm-hmm. and they're all heterosexuals. Number one, not that I. What I'm about to say is controversial. But when I have these, when I hear about these psychologists and people talking about shame, I'm like, fuck you. Like, you're straight. Mm-hmm. You're able-bodied. You're white. Like, how, what the fuck do you know about shame? Like, I know that's controversial because, yeah, maybe they've had, like, sexual trauma or something. I know that's super controversial, what I'm saying. Why don't you go read some Garth Greenwell and Andrew Solomon? Then maybe you'll know more about, like, the depths of shame. I just don't think that these people understand the very deep, 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 deep depths of shame. Because, like, they're straight. Number one, you're fucking straight. So you are privy. You are privy to so many things that make your life so much easier. They were probably never been put into spotlight or been publicly shamed in order for them to, you know, I don't know. They're just taking something that's probably they haven't really experienced through their life. Well, um, the the Pakistani Australian guy Tanvir Ahmed, he he says, "Oh, I was shamed when uh, I was exposed about my plagiarism. When my plagiarism was exposed, I was shamed." I was like, "Jesus Christ, that is not that is the extent of the way you have felt felt shame." You know that when I listen to one of the yeah, one of the interview that I listen, I cannot pick up his feeling for shame when he's talking about the incident of plagiarism. Yeah. Okay, can you just expand on that? Yeah. His tone of voice I don't know how people, perhaps, that their tone of voice would change. But I think along the line, he said that he didn't think it was a big issue. Where's the remorse for about doing something that's not wrong? Yeah. And how is that shame? The shame is coming out from outside of him. It's coming from... Yeah, it's not internal. So there's nothing that is going to fix. He's still got books or whatever published. Yeah, he's got a fucking book deal. Yeah. And... He's to what well, I don't know. He's work. He's working for Sky News or some kind of <laughs> right wing. Yeah. Oh my god. And his Twitter. This is the most irksome part. His Twitter bio at the end. He says, "Father of daughters," oh. as though that means you're the fucking king of God. Because I'm a father of daughters. So I'm a feminist. So I can tell. Yeah. So I'm a fucking feminist, and I know how to tell women what oh, they want. Just, yeah. That's basically what that says. When he, when someone when a man straight man says, "I'm a father." Ugh. And then I'm a father of daughters. It's what just... gives him the right to say that he's exactly. the, an ally? That's just bullshit. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, jump on the bandwagon, mate. But with um, Brene Brown's 12 categories of shame, I don't like it because I hate self-help books because they compartmentalize human beings and mm-hmm. all these moral emotions. They can't be boxed that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. She's boxing mm-hmm. them. Well, I'm going to talk about from the perspectives of the Asians on the mental health of shame. Um, we all know that possibly that you know Asian is more prevalent in shaming because the cycle of, of abuse and not knowing other ways to fix the problem. You know, particularly for Asians living in Western nations, we are kind of caught in between collectivism and individualism concepts. Mm. Um, I'm gonna take a quote from Sam Louis. He's a um, oh he's a therapist in Seattle. He also have a book called Asian Shame and Addiction. Uh, suffering in silence. I think this is the book that I will prefer to read rather than the other yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. 
He said Confucius espoused his viewpoint about the need for Asian individuals to submit to the greater good of the collective group and doing so as a means of honoring yourself and others. This, in yeah. turn, will bring about stability and harmony. Yeah. His point views on this can be summed up in his five cardinal rules, where you are honored, your superiors, and strive towards unity and group cohesion. His beliefs started in China. Blah 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 blah. Anyway, we can see this kind of the idea of honoring and loyalty. It's yeah. kind of damaging for Asian diasporas around the world. I think. Yeah. I I'm not quite sure what's happening. You know, with the general population in Asian countries. I think it's conservative families. It's still continuing using like shame as a tool to mutilate yourself. To mutilate yourself and also like parents. I think I've seen so yeah. much parents out there using shame to try to change their behaviors of their own kids yeah you know yeah yeah exactly mm -hmm. yeah i saw it with my own mother mum always said told me that i wasn't good enough that i'm not smart enough and i always hated that and then she, i i remember asking her when i was older why she did that and she was like oh reverse oh, psychology fuck. i always thought that if i said you're dumb she said if i said you're dumb then i would have thought you would think oh i'm gonna try and prove her wrong <laughs> and i was like fuck mum i don't work that way yeah it's so Seriously. bad i was like what what kind of person thinks that bringing me down is going to bring me up? I don't work that way. It probably worked in her era. You know, that's a thing. Oh, probably. And I was like, what? I don't yeah, want to prove you so wrong. Bad. And also, I have to say, like, the reason why I've been so transgressive and I have never really liked following mm -hmm. societal rules is because I've seen my parents follow mm -hmm. societal rules and mm -hmm. my parents suppress and oppress yeah. themselves to the nth degree and they're yeah. fucking unhappy yeah. like our parents are so fucking depressed <laughs> <laughs> like mum i think mum has like been like, like but I da our dad is like the most unhappy human in the world and um he ticked every fucking box under the sun he was a loyal son he mm -hmm. was a loyal husband he was a perfect supposedly perfect perfect father he did all those things and like you you he he's not a human being he fucking hates himself so it doesn't work. Yeah, it, it absolutely doesn't work. I mean, I'm in a group in Asians talk about their mental health. Um, I've just seen almost on daily basis, there will be young kids. I'm talking about young kids will be like um, early 20s, you know, college kids. Mm -hmm. They're saying that, oh, you know, I'm upset because I, I, I'm trying to follow what my parents um, mm -hmm. tell me to do, but I don't feel it's right. I'm stuck in the middle. I don't know what to do. And... Like I have anxiety attacks, but my parents refuses to acknowledge my mental health issues and things like that. And sometimes there will be kids asking, oh, should I just follow what my parents told me to do? You know, would I be happier because yeah. I don't have to think about it and all shit or that? Like my response will be, are your parents happy? Like if your parents followed yeah, exactly. their own parents uh, yeah. manipulation I don't even want to use the guy the word guideline it's not even guideline because as a guideline you know you you're free to go and explore and do what you want but Asian parents they're out there to just tell their kids what to do because they think they're right which they're they're not yeah. and then end up unhappy and that's that's something that when I was growing up, like this made me thinking when I was t when I was researching on this topic. When I was growing up, watching like Chinese or Taiwanese drama, when there's scenes of funeral that where people just cry and then 
this regret or yeah. the person who's dying is like, oh, I've regretted that I didn't do this. You know, I could have done this when I was younger, when I was healthy and things like that. And now I'm regretting by now I'm dying. Whereas a lot of other, like in comparison that the Western format of funeral is just very peaceful <laughs> or when someone who's passing, right. it's just there's never like a extremely dramatic scenes of um, regret. This is why I was so pissed off when that guy at the sexual harassment panel said, I think when he said, oh, shaming is great because it stops mm. males from perpetrating. Um, I was so insulted because I was like, uh, don't you know that in Japan, when someone is shamed, they actually go and kill themselves? I just, he, he didn't understand the weight of shame. Yeah, in other cultures, yeah, exactly. In other cultures. Because what we're seeing is that um, the Japanese samurai, historically, you know, when they want this, this so-called what, honor killing, which is still happening. It's still happening in Middle East, yeah. you know, where they, yeah, of course. Yeah. you know, bash yeah. or storm yeah. woman because they're shamed. The whole yeah. family is shamed because what she she slept with someone else or she had sex outside of marriage or something like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. And also, you know, we are still seeing a lot of women in Asia that women die from suicide due to the extremely shame of them shame. being yeah. a sexual harassment or sexual assault victim. They are the victims. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they're Fuck. the victims. Um, so it was the violent comment for that guy to make and obliviousness. It just yeah. exposed his obliviousness to the whole idea of like uh, society's public force of shaming um, a group of individuals. Um, now, I'll, t- I'll tell you now why um, what mm. he said was so wrong. He was saying that it's good that we shame men who sexually harass women because he's saying that it works because because it says don't do it because you might be caught rather than what I think it should be which is whereas the truth way of saying it I think is don't do it because women are just like men and sexually harassing them mm-hmm. is just plain mm-hmm. wrong it's unethical yeah. it's wrong full stop like you know it's like incentivizing he's basically saying don't do it because it might harm your comfort it might mm-hmm. harm your mm-hmm. like you might be exposed so yeah. don't do it rather like he's saying he's saying to men oh, this is like, he's saying that shaming works because you might be embarrassed, you might be humiliated. Like, don't expose yourself to that possible, yeah. Whereas, like, I'm like, what the fuck? Um, that doesn't work because um, that's that's really insulting to me as a woman to hear that because yeah. you're not addressing the root of the cause, which is root of the problem, which the is action. sexually yeah. harassing, sorry, sexually harassing a woman is just wrong. And you're, it's like what he's saying prioritizes mm. the feelings of a man over the feelings of a woman is what I'm saying. Do you understand? Does that make sense? Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's saying it's saying, oh guys, don't do it because you might be caught. Rather than guys, don't do it because uh, yeah. women are harmed yeah, and women yeah. are human beings mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. I want to bring back to the point of what he's saying about shame. And I agree with you that it doesn't work. Um, last couple of days, I was watching the Taiwanese panel <laughs> talk show again. They were talking about, they were having a conversation around um, public sexual harassment where they, you know, a couple of the guests, uh, female guests that was on the panel that they spoke about their um, experience that been like groped or touched on the train mm-hmm. one of the young women mm-hmm. that she said that exposing them doesn't mean it doesn't fix the problem because the perpetrator usually will throw back at the yeah. victim and yeah. shame the victim okay so this is what happened with her she said that there was one incident yeah. on the train she got groped on her on her bottom and then she turned around because it happened to her so many times she yeah. just got fed up with her she turned around and yeah i kind of like shouted at the guy saying that 
what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. She wants to bring the attention to the guy, you know, as in everyone to the, the attention to the guy, the perpetrator. Humiliating. Yeah, yeah. But it didn't work because he spoke louder yeah. than her and said that, what the fuck are you talking about? She just got scared because she didn't expect that he would kind of shout back at her. Yeah. So that yeah. didn't work. Yeah, because yeah, he mm-hmm. kind of threw the shame back at her. Yeah. Like he allowed a, yeah, exactly. the whole focal point back at her again. And then she felt kind of humiliated. So she yeah. just walked away. Because he's a man. So people trust him more. And then yeah. he had the upper hand at that situation. Yeah. When he kind of, there's no shame in him. Because it definitely yeah. didn't seem like he was shameful about what he was doing. Yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah, what the fuck? Exactly. You know, what are you talking yeah. about? I know a lot of, I actually know a couple of those I've dated one as well. Um, men who are like that. Yuck. Like, they're so narcissistic that they don't feel shame. Yeah, that's what we're talking yeah. about, Donald Trump. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, exactly. I was so insulted by what the guy on the panel also said because he obviously didn't read the excellent piece of feature article that was written by Ira Carmen, which we'll link in the show notes, where I think it was published last year, where she interviews about 25 women. Mm-hmm who came out um, during the Me Too movement mm-hmm. and then um, she interviews them a year later to say what's happened. Mm-hmm. So she's caught up with them. Yep. And I think the article is something like, has Me Too actually improved their lives? Mm-hmm. Almost every single one of them, their lives have either not changed at all or gotten worse. Yeah. Seriously. Even one of them, one of the um, sexual harassment victims, assault victims, she worked at McDonald's. Um, she was she left McDonald's and then the, her perpetrator was um was yeah, promoted. Yeah, I know it happens so regularly. It's so f- not funny. Yeah, and a lot of these women come out uh, like a year or two later have actually lost a, have lost a lot of money because legal mm-hmm. um legal fees in America and any anywhere in the world is so expensive, and like two three years on their lives yeah. have actually become shittier. So I'm like, what? Public shaming? Are you fucking kidding me, dude? Like, no, it doesn't change anything. So when this white lawyer in the, on the panel said, oh, um, I think public shaming works because of Me Too, I'm like, dude, you obviously have not closely followed what's happened to the real mm-hmm. lives mm-hmm. of women after they come out. It often becomes shittier. And also, I think shaming w- only works for those who have actually have moral standard. It will only work for those people who are acknowledging that there's an issue, there's that problem. And whereas the people who doesn't acknowledge, it's not going to change their behavior. It's not going to change their action. Me too. Will, I mean, it, it puts on public sphere that we are aware. I mean, we always know. We always know this fucking sexual violence against women and children for years. Why do you think we grew up being told not to dress too slutty not to go out at night come home at certain time you know yeah. as women we always always know that but it's just been like me too movement is just kind of amplified it has it only only benefit for people who are have celebrity status yeah. the overall stigma is still there now i have a really good question so one of the articles that joseph broger i've mentioned wrote was a recent article no sorry mm-hmm. it was from 2019 and the article is called Why Shame is Good. And he says, quote, members who violate the rules would be shunned and shamed. He says, like, that's a good way mm-hmm. of regulating behavior. And my question is, is there a way not to do that? Like, is there a way to be kind to people <sighs> who violate the rules? And how do you tell off someone without them feeling shame? 
Like, how do you say to someone what you do is wrong without them telling, without them feeling what they do is wrong? Yeah, yeah. Like, does that make sense? Like, for instance, why don't we shame murderers? Like, you know, we shame pedophiles and we shame sexual Mm -hmm. harassment and assault perpetrators, but why don't we as a society shame murderers? Well, that's, that's very deep, I think. We say the guy who killed his wife is bad and that's abominable, but we don't shame them we don't shame them in the way that we shame like bill crosby Mm. and kevin spacey you know and like why is that why don't we make why don't we make murderers feel humiliated i think that's another level of discussion i can't i can't comment on that because i haven't got the idea yet but i think in some 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 community would definitely shame that person but when you're when you have to go above and beyond to kill someone, there's this, I don't know, It's there's a some type of mental illness involved. It's not, by the way. Like, I, I could be capable of killing someone. Just so could you. Yeah. What I, I guess what I'm saying is it's mm-hmm. it's interesting how we as a society um, treat different types of criminals differently. Like, we humiliate sexual offenders and yet we don't mm. try and humiliate murderers. Like, with murderers, I tend to see that we just say, oh, mm. that guy is evil, full stop, right? But, like, why don't we do that for sexual harassment perpetrators? Why don't we say... Well, he is evil. He is evil. To instead me. of, oh, yeah, but, like, I feel like I feel like we don't do that. We don't... I feel mm. like we, we try and shame him. In, but, like, I'm, like, um, a murderer and a sexual harassment perpetrator... Mm-hmm. I think are on the same spectrum of badness. Because let's say that um, a serial killer of women, um, and we compare him to a sexual harassment yeah. assault perpetrator, I think they're the same type of yeah, man. Yeah, of course. Yeah. They're on the same spectrum. And it starts with a disrespect and That's right. yeah. um, a lack of seeing women as human beings. I think it's due down to how language is formulated in the overall social or the overall media presentation. I mean, journalists have a lot to say about that. How are they going to formulate to describe like a murderer or a, a sexual predator? Mm. Um, and that has a huge influence of how the general public perceive on those two types of crimes. That's what I think. Because most people don't uphold critical thinking and yeah yeah i have a question for you so in the same article Mm. written by joseph burgo um he says quote shame is used to teach toddlers the concept of sharing saying thanks and greeting people uh do you agree or disagree because i totally disagree i disagree yeah i don't shame a kid into yeah you don't shame a kid into saying oh there's something wrong with you because there's a difference between like drawing boundaries and rules and shaming someone Whereas, where I don't, I don't think mm-hmm. this Joseph dude knows the boundaries. Like he doesn't know the distinction between saying it's nice to share mm-hmm. rather than oh, there's something fucked up with you, little Tommy, mm-hmm. because you're not sharing. Yeah. I think that's really wrong because it's a reverse way of doing it. I think it would just you create fear for the child. I mean, I, I'm not a child psychologist, but from my experience of parenting, which is not absolute or universal for everyone. But I don't think shaming is the way to go because it kind of it creates a fear and resentment of a child that want to yeah what do the behavior of sharing in the future because 
He knows that he's gonna have a connection of oh sharing. If I don't share, I'm gonna be shamed. Yeah, if I don't share, um, there's something wrong with me. There's no yeah, benefit exactly. out of it. Yeah, there's no benefit out of it, and there's always a reason for him not to share. Yeah, if it's his own toy, yeah. he's got the right to, you know, to to take care of it. Why does he have to share? Yeah. I'm gonna come back to that that Asian culture. I think a lot of Asian parents, or at least when we were growing up, that shame has been utilized. To manipulate, I don't want to use the word correct because it's not even yeah. right. To manipulate how we yeah. behave within the group, yeah. that's coming back to the idea of collectivism. So, because you want to have a harmonized group, a harmonized yeah. community, and if you're doing something、yeah. out of the shape or out of、yeah. the box, that you're putting in shame to stop you <laughs> to think about becoming individualistic. Yeah. yeah. I think that's why a lot of Asian people battle with this sense of inadequacy、mm-hmm, because I know、mm-hmm. I had it myself. Like I never felt in, I never felt adequate. Like that's why I wrote a fucking book and I'm an overachiever because my parents never made me made never I never felt loved by my parents because I like my, when I was growing up、um, in my early twenties, my dad was like, "Why don't you get a job? Like quickly get a job." My dad、mm-hmm. was always like, "If you don't make money, you're useless. You're mm-hmm, useless." Mm-hmm. And then when I was a kid, when I wasn't brooming. The backyard or vacuuming, my mum would be like, "Why are you not being making yourself useful? Like、mm-hmm. you're useless if you're not helping out with." Like she would actually tell me,、mm. um, "What is she? Mel Young? Like you Mel Young? Ah, you know, like she's just you're like useless. <laughs> yeah, you're useless if you're not helping me." And like that really fucks you up as a kid. If your parents are saying you're not worthy of、yeah. my love because you're not doing X Y Z, they're shaming、mm-hmm. me.、Mm-hmm. They were shaming. That's why、yeah. I have so many fucked up problems. Because they're using like a currency of their respond to you as their way to love is that you're supposed、yeah. to give them. Like there's always a trade off.、Yeah. I mean, I'm quote, quoting from San Louis here that he said that Asian American have three head monsters to slay in order to obtain emotional health, like erasing the stigma of asking for help.、Mm-hmm. Okay, that's one、yeah. thing. Finding one's identity as a minority in U.S. And facing the cultural norms that act as barrier, I think as Asian diasporas we have so much more layers、yeah. compared to like majority, let's say white, white people, people. Yeah, to battle, you、yeah. know, this kind of shit. Yeah, that's why I yeah, that's why I get so angry when all the literature out there about shame is written by white people. That's why I get really angry when I was looking up the topic on shaming, and then it relates to honor and loyalty for、um, Chinese. And for some some reason that I came up, <laughs> I came up with the Mulan's like Disney the cartoon, the music, and I look at the lyric. I'm like, which one? <laughs> the reflections, because I love that song. Look at me, I'm not da na 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 na. That one? No, I, I'm just glad that my kids haven't seen it. <laughs> no, it's the other one. Okay, I love that song. The other one is called "Honor to Us All," where it's at the scene where she get dressed up and to go and meet the matchmakers. I looked up that the lyrics because I heard the song. I'm looking up the lyrics.、Uh-huh. So it says, "Men want girls with good taste, calm, obedient, who work fast paced with good breeding and a tiny waist. You'll bring honor、oh、to us、God. all. We must serve our emperor who guards us from the Huns. A man by bearing arms, and here we go." A girl by bearing sons, it's not only sexist; it's pedophilic. <laughs> a girl by bearing sons, like literally in the lyric, is saying that a girl should be given birth,、uh, not even a woman. Right. It's just so it made me like fucking furious, mad. 
yeah. you know, you still have this kind of lyrics. Fucking yeah. two thousand years later, you know, not yeah. only the, with the lyrics, because yeah. I'm 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 quite angry about what happened in the past week. Have you heard the the Brazil where there's a ten year old girl who got pregnant and she's trying to get abortion and oh she was God. like faced with a fucking pro life yeah protesters outside of That's the ho- hospital. Yeah, it's really fucked. Well, to end things off, um, I wanted to mention uh, like those four year olds out there who are around Helen and I age in our 30s um when i was growing up i saw this um anti-binging commercial on television and i'm sure those listeners out there who know this will remember it was a commercial where there was a white girl teenager who went to a party and um she gets kind of drunk and then um the split the screen splits into two versions of um kind of a sliding doors kind of template where um, in one version, she gets really drunk and then mm-hmm. sleeps with a guy. And then at the end of this first version, um, you see that people like are pointing at her and looking like kind of shaming her for sleeping with a guy. And whereas the second version is her not like refusing the second, third drink. And then at the end of the night, she gives mm-hmm. the uh, cute guy a number. And so like, I just, I remember... That when I saw this as a kid, like an eight-year-old, this had such a dramatic effect on me. And, like, I was always so depressed by this ad because I was like, it just, I it stayed with me on an emotional, psychic level. And, you know, now in my 30s, I'm still thinking about it. And it's just, like, public, it's like, it's, it's the way in which that ad was saying, was the message it was basically giving to a woman was, number one, if you drink too much, you're going to make decisions you're going to regret. Um, and that message was, um, you're going to sleep with someone you're, you don't know. While you're drunk. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with sleeping with someone um, mm-hmm. if it's consensual um, yeah. when you're drunk. And no one yeah. should shame you for that. So, like, this ad was so female shaming. Yeah, it is. Would I mean, agree? years after now that we're looking at it, it's just so bad and so wrong because... That essentially it's victim, vic, victim blaming of yeah, what the girl was that's doing. That's right. I mean, yeah. If you wanted to promote anti binge drink, I mean, you can talk about the health issue, yeah, or the medical problems that will come around yeah. with it. Rather than fucking yeah. social behaviors, it's not. Yeah. I mean, why don't yeah. you just? Why don't? How come the ad doesn't? point the finger at the guy who took advantage of a drunkard girl. Yeah. You know, I don't exactly. see there yeah. wasn't the the guy wasn't shamed. So yeah. shame as a mechanism exactly. has always been put on mostly on women. The woman. Yeah. Yeah. Like Helen like we can what we're saying now goes back centuries. Like in the Middle Ages there were so many ways in, in which the Middle Ages, um, Bronze Age, Ice Age Whatever age, right? <laughs> people like people always knew how to shame women, you know, publicly. Yeah. Like when I was yeah. in France two years ago with mum, I went to a torture museum in in this small town, and there was this one way in which in the Middle Ages, um, if a woman was like was like doing something that was not normal, like quote unquote uh-huh. normal, she was like put naked on like um some sort of wheel and then turned uh-huh. around and she was oh, like yeah. turned around uh-huh. like this. Um, all through and yeah. like she was put in the middle of the village so that everyone could um, like uh-huh. hit her with rocks uh, just public yeah. shaming I think it still yeah, happens like public yeah, shaming public like shaming. that you know that yeah. the gif that I put onto my story yeah, exactly. that I was talking about uh, that's actually like a clip because you don't watch Game of Thrones where the nun was it, yeah. going through going through the town 
uh, calling out Shane, Shane with the you know the ringing bell, bell you know. Yeah, so the bell yeah. was to signify to people to come and look yeah. at this person that she's gonna shame. Yeah. What happened was that the the queen, you know, in in the story is that um she been find out that she was sleeping with her twin brother. And she was doing all this shit bad thing. But I think she was extremely powerful, very powerful character, female character. Anyway, so the, the church was trying to shame her of her sexual behaviors yeah. that she's sleeping around as a queen. Yeah, yeah. They stripped her naked yeah. and marched her through the town. Yeah. <laughs> and you know later what happened? Yeah, what? She blew up the church. Great, I love her. Yeah. I think talking about this issue with you in the last hour or so has made me realize what the source of my anger is the source of my anger mm-hmm. is this mm-hmm. public nature of shaming that's what i don't like like if someone does mm-hmm. something transgressive i think the better way would be to bring them into a s- space where they're private like into mm-hmm. a room and it's just between you and the person and you tell them what you did was wrong rather than like um pulling them out and exposing them to the public like pulling them out and putting them on a stage and like having people point fingers at them. That's what I don't like. I don't think anyone has the right mm-hmm. to subject others, someone else to publicly invite other people to shame them. I don't like that. I don't like the audience side of shaming. You know what I mean? Like it's the audience side yeah, uh, that I just yeah, don't yeah, like. I, I don't think yeah. anyone has the right to do that. I don't know how humans going to pro- pro- progress into that stage because as human, I think we're still very shallow about seeing sensationalized yeah. news and everyone to want to take, take part of it. And it's just very detrimental. Also, it's yeah. worse now because yeah. we're on a digital age whereas everyone can be involved in yeah. any conversations, you know, in any public yeah. public forum. You know, when I was in year nine, I was yeah. in the special uh, girls' advanced science class and my science teacher, Miss Swift, who I adored, um, she shamed me. So what happened was I was wow. I was really bored in class and I was writing a letter to Alice, my friend. I was uh, I used to love writing letters to mm. my friends. And so she came up to my table uh-huh. and then she took my letter and then she read out my letter. Uh-huh. Oh, I was Yeah, and fuck. like the letter, the thing is, the letter was n- n- like there was nothing rude or um, spicy about my letter. Like it was just like, hi, uh-huh. Alice, how's your day going? What did you have for lunch? Yeah, it was just a very innocent letter. But um, she read it out in class to everyone. Fuck. And um, that was my first, I think that was my first ever traumatic experience of feeling publicly shamed because um those are my private thoughts even if it was not anything salacious or private yeah those were thoughts for only alice and for a teacher to grab my letter and Uh expose what was inside the brain of a 14 15 year old like i think if that happened today that teacher would be fired seriously you Uh don't do that Uh and um i and and i was um i cried for the rest of the day like i was sobbing yeah it was awful Uh and like she was so nice about it afterwards like she sat me down after class and she was like i'm really sorry i did that oh she apologized yeah she apologized but still i was i fucking lost it and i think she felt bad and also i love miss swift yeah. I really truly loved her. She was yeah. a white woman, by the way. And doesn't it doesn't change your behavior, wouldn't it? It would just make you resentful of what happened. Yeah. Like, when you're talking about when you were talking about some people saying that, you know, some freaking so called e- experts saying that shame will regulate people's behavior. But that would just make you feel bad and you probably rebel to it. And th- there's also because there's power dynamics within the relationship of teacher and student. Student, yeah. Um, Garth Greenwell, who's a teacher as well as a writer, he says in his beautiful book, Cleanness, that that's the power and mystery of teaching. 
like you never know what mm. impact you have on kids you never know the weight of it mm-hmm. like it could be a monumental or it could be nothing yeah, absolutely you just never know yeah i still think about teachers i had in high school you know i think it's such a I- yeah. impact public shaming is so prevalent in taiwan yeah. still I think when I was growing up, the teacher that I had when I was in year four, he's actually got a very yeah. I know it's very bad now, but back then in the like eighties, oh yeah, 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 well, it's very yeah, normal yeah. to like physical punishment to the kids. Yeah, but he he doesn't hit or whip the kids, but he what did he do? He gets the students whoever doesn't meet the standard of his the criteria. From a test that you have to squat, shit, squat、yeah. with a chair. You hold a chair on top of like your shoulder, <laughs> and you squat for like I don't know, ten, twenty minutes. It's just like physical punishment,、Jesus. essentially. Yeah, it's like you're in an army. Yeah, or you you do like a plank. <laughs> <laughs> you do a plank, and you and in front of the class. That's what I don't like. like. You, That's what I don't like. The the being in front of the class. Yeah, it's not even like the whole class do it. It's put you in the center, and everyone will see center you. of yeah. Everyone yeah. watches you. That's what I mean by that. Before ten minutes ago, when I said I don't like the audience aspect of shaming, that's what I feel like is really, really, really fucking fucked up, and I'm、yeah. really angry about. Okay, anything else? Well, I just you know the ad I mentioned、um, a couple of years. I want to mention just one other ad. Um, so a, a couple of years ago, much more recent, there was an ad、um, that was trying in Australia that was on commercial television that was trying to call out men who speed,、mm-hmm. and it was very gendered. This ad. So、yes. for all you listeners out there, you would remember the ad was when you saw a white man, and it was always a young white man. Um, speeding in his car, and then you would have、um, a passerby on, like a, a pedestrian, looking over to their mate, and then like kind of wagging their middle finger, pinky, like, pinky, yeah, sorry, pinky. <laughs> wagging their pinky, like in a like curling it slowly, um, basically、yeah. insinuating small dick, yeah, yeah, um, so that was a way in which um the the campaign was shaming, like the tool they used to try and stop men from speeding. Was to say, oh,、um, was to use shame to say, if you speed, you have a small dick.、Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think about it much at that time, but in hindsight, I was like, now that I think about it, I was like, I'm like, that's not like speeding is actually putting other people in danger,、um, and there is a real life wrongness、mm-hmm. and danger to it. Ex- you're ex- you're actually you're doing something that is dangerous to the human kind,、exactly. human beings. And yet, the way that they thought they would approach that,、uh-huh. like the ways in which they thought would make men deter from doing that action of speeding, is to shame them. Is to say, if you speed, you have a small dick. So it's like appealing to their、yeah. their fear of lost masculinity. If you don't, if you want to have a big dick,、uh-huh. don't speed.、Uh-huh. It's basically, it's basically what they were saying. You know, <laughs> don't speed. <laughs> I don't know. Has that has that actually worked? I wonder if guys, I don't think they fucking care, honestly. Well, I have to say that they did have one thing right, which is that every single time I see a motorcycle or a car speeding past me in the street, it's always been a man. I have never seen、okay. a woman speed. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So they got that right. What's what's with men and needing to fucking speed? It must be a sense of like increasing their masculinity. That's true. That's true. Yeah, because when we have when Hollywood is pumping out Fast and Fucking Furious for、oh, what? Exactly. <laughs> Seven exactly. eight movies of a useless male, you know, driving around to show their 
I don't know. I don't know what is that trying to... To show how yeah. big their dick is. <laughs> so any any final thoughts? My final thought is that I think it's there's importance of the language to talk about it, the, the idea mm-hmm. around shame. And we need to continue to unpack it and examine it, you know, as like yeah. people of colour, especially for us, that yeah. we really need to, as usual as what I say, is that to open it up to talk about it and to actually establish a language to talk about it because mental health is such a big, big subject. Yeah. 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 And still a lot of people refuses to talk about it. I'm quite ha- happy that because we got a couple of responses regarding to our earlier episode of uh, mental health. Mm. <laughs> the one we didn't think that we did very well, but actually a lot of people that wrote to us and saying that Ray uh, resonated with us and they hope to see that we talk about more on subjects of mental health. And you? My final words is um, it doesn't work. Like public shaming, mm. um, dragging mm. someone out and telling like ex- and publicly parading erroneousness of their actions is not conducive to changing the actual crime or like the, the mm. it doesn't deter them from doing the evil stuff is what i'm saying mm-hmm. it doesn't work on everyone and if it's for people who are a bit more emotional unstable it's worse for them yeah and for people who doesn't yeah. fucking care they will never care yeah. it doesn't address the actual problem of correcting the ino- in- inequities yeah. in our yeah, society that's right yeah and finally, I want to give a shout out to the workshop that I attended two weeks ago. So it's the Happiness Habits workshop for um, females to empower other females. If you're interested, I'll leave a link in our show notes because uh, the Happiness Habit is looking to extend into other areas of Sydney. If you're looking for a workshop to hold in your areas, you know, to just connect women, you know, get in touch with them. That's it. Awesome. Once again, thank you to our listeners. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. Please give us a rating and review. You can find our updates on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Asian Bitches Down Under. We welcome discussions and feedback. So we chat to you next week. Yeah, can't wait. Bye. Bye, guys.